This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample. I'm your host, Dina Marie Hale, and today we're going to continue our conversation on the Synod, the synopsis of the Synod. We have a report that's actually available on the Archdiocesan website, and last week we talked about the life-giving elements of the Church that really came out through all of these 175 (laughs) or so listening sessions, but this week we want to look at these wounds, things that need attention, Mm -hmm. the question that came up was, you know, what experiences of the Catholic Church, we talked about the joys, but also that maybe brought about wounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we want to address some of those and really talk about them in this part of our program today, Archbishop. So as we open up this session, um, please lead us in prayer. Yes, we'll use again uh, the prayer that we use throughout the whole synodal process, invoking the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path, nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity, so that we may journey together to eternal life and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All of this we ask of you, who are at work in every time and place, in the communion of the Father and the Son, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it, it just, I'm sure, was such a work of the Holy Spirit for the team to come together to put all of this information together at each parish, the vicariates, listening, writing down, sharing all of this information. But then what came up were some of the things that are wounds, that need healing, mm-hmm. and Jesus is the divine healer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to kind of look at these different categories, because the number one thing, it, it's not surprising the sexual abuse scandal, and and just these wounds that have happened maybe within parishes, within families, but this comes up as something that we need to continue to address and to bring about for healing. Yes, I I must say that in in, in what the wounds that are still sort of festering in the church, I I wasn't surprised uh, that this came up, uh, the, the, the continuing fallout from the sex abuse crisis, but I, I, I was a little surprised at, and it's a good thing for me to know this, quite honestly, as the archbishop, how pervasive this still is. Um, in, in other words, this wasn't a minor little thing that a few people mentioned. Mm-hmm. It was actually mentioned quite a bit 
in the listening sessions. It's just a real further awareness of just how deep the wound of the sex abuse crisis has been on the church. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, we need to address this together. And, and I really need to address this myself as the, as the spiritual father and shepherd of this church. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's hard to hear how deep the wound still remains, uh, but it's, it's important for me to know that the wound is still deep and remains because that, that gives me the impetus then to continue to try to address it. Right. And I think, you know, there's, there's healing that needs to take place, and I'm not, I haven't quite discerned how to go about this, certainly to continue to offer the profoundest apologies that we can humbly and, and, and acknowledging the sins and the crimes uh, that were committed uh, and the failures, quite honestly, of church leadership uh, to adequately address this in the past, to continue to reach out to victims, to have that openness with victims. Um, I always you know, offer to, to meet personally with those who have been victimized and are survivors of sexual abuse in the church. I met with an individual just uh, some months ago, and it was a very healing experience, I think, for this individual, just to be able to sit with the, the, the bishop, to hear that sincere, heartfelt apology, to pray together, and to feel the love and the concern of the church, I think, is, is very healing in and of itself. I think what perhaps many bishops, and I, I would maybe ad- have to admit to this, have not fully realized and, and need to continue to address is, is the wound in the church itself, mm-hmm. not just the victim survivors of sexual abuse. I mean, they are mm-hmm. the priority. They are the first of co- area of concern, and we mustn't lose sight of continuing ongoing outreach to them and, and to ensure that this never happens again. I mean, there's nothing that, that disgusts me and angers me more than this in, in terms of the, the harm done to the church. But I think it's a realization also that, well, this has left a deep wound in the body of Christ and mm-hmm. the church itself. People who are not victim survivors of sexual abuse have still been deeply wounded by this terrible betrayal and scandal in the church. Uh, so in parish communities, maybe we need to do more prayer together. Maybe we need to have healing services. These are all things that are, are being discussed right now. But yeah, we need right. to continue to address this deep wound in, in the church. And right. I just say again, to anybody listening, how profoundly sorry I am as one who shepherds the church, who represents Christ, supposed to represent Christ, um, how profoundly sorry I am for this, this, this horrible, horrible crime and, and sin against uh, so many innocent young people. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, just, it, it should never have happened, and it certainly should never happen again. And we, you know, we look at these wounds. These are the things that divide. Yes, last week we talked about things that really unify us, that bring us together as community. And so when there's such a scandal as this, it's a huge division. And so again, who is the healer? It is Jesus Christ. So how do we come closer into uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ? We had an experience that nobody could have predicted where this pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And so people obviously spoke about when all of a sudden you can't access the sacraments. And this was a global, this was a global experience that we're still, 
we're still trying to figure out yeah. these divisions in the church that grew due to this yeah, pandemic. You know, there have always been, there are, there are, I think it's important to realize that there have always been divisions yeah. in the church. I mean, the divisions in the church are in the, are in the scriptures. <laughs> right. I mean, you read the Acts of the Apostles, mm. read the letters of St. Paul. Division is nothing new to the church. And we have a sad history of division throughout throughout the church's history. And we have some of the big divisions, you know, the great schism between the church of the East and the West. Uh, of course, the Protestant uh, Reformation that divided the church and continues to, to splinter and divide. You know, so division is nothing new, but... but this, the division that people feel in the church today is, is maybe particularly acute. Uh, we live in a very divided culture. We, you know, our, our, the culture in our country right now, politically, socially, is very divided. And unfortunately, Catholics have been dragged right into it. And instead mm-hmm. of standing out as examples of unity and solidarity um, and charity and love, we have sort of sadly gotten sucked into the same culture around us. You know, this pandemic... Uh, I continue to hear how how deeply uh, people felt about the whole pandemic and the church's response to that. I continue to you know get experience criticism myself for how how I handled uh, the the crisis that we were in. You know, everybody was, you know, and, and good heavens, none of us have ever been through anything like mm-hmm. this before. Uh, I guarantee you, they did not cover this in the seminary: how to shepherd a church through a pandemic. Uh, not even in baby bishop school when you're first made a bishop yeah. uh, did we cover anything like this. So we were all doing the best we could, making decisions the best way we could with constantly changing dynamics and situations. But it, it, it just really, the, the pandemic really brought to, to, to highlight this division in the church. I mean, I had people angry that, that we ever shut the churches down. I should have stood my ground. We all should have stood our ground against the government. And and then I had people on the other side that when we did start reopening the churches, I was being terribly irresponsible and I was killing people by, by opening the churches again. And, you know, trying to navigate that is, 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 isn't easy. But I'm afraid that when, in a moment when the church could have really shined mm-hmm. as, as, as a beacon of hope and light and unity and love and peace, we, we, I think in many ways we failed. And I think we just, we just played into the politics of this, and, and it's, it's still going on now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still hear this uh, even today, even though we're, thank God, pretty much through it. I, I, still, I still hear, hear the, the hurt uh, and the yeah. division that, that, that it caused. But, it, but, it, but it, was, it wasn't, the, the, I think the pandemic just, just sort of uh, threw gasoline on a fire that was already burning mm-hmm. uh, of division in the church. So, there's, so there was great concern about right. division. And so we need to, to heed the prayers of Jesus mm-hmm. on the night before he offered his life for us on the cross and that great high priestly prayer that he offered at the Last Supper with his apostles, the prayer for unity, the Lord, Father, that they may be one. Yeah. We need to be one because Jesus said, this is how the world will know uh, that you are my disciples, that mm-hmm. the love you have for one another. Right. May they be one, Father, so the world may believe that you sent me. Yeah. We need to be one, brothers and sisters. And so, you know, and I, I own... Whatever mistakes I made along the way, but I, I, any mistakes I made along the way during this pandemic uh, were not made out of any malice on my part. You know, I'm trying to hold this, this body together. <laughs> yes. As we look at all of these different conversations, people bringing up different topics, 
And I think one that I've heard a lot as we talk in circles is leadership and the role of women in the church. And there's all different opinions, but people brought in some of their own concerns, maybe some of the things that they feel are, are, are working well in the church. But this is, I think, an area where voices still have some some sorrow or some wound that continues to need to be shared. Yeah. You know, one of the issues that was raised as an area of, of, of concern is the role of women in the church. I, you know, some people have perhaps some more a, a extreme, you know, views in this area, perhaps, you know, wanting for the ordination of women to the priesthood, for example, which is never going to happen. You know, and I just, you know, people... I, I know people feel very, some people feel very strongly about this and wish that, that we would ordain women to the priesthood, but it's something that has been solemnly decided by the church. The church does not have the authority to ordain women to the priesthood. It, it, it's as simple as that. And, and I think, you know, with all love uh, for those of you who, who really feel that this is something the church must do, with all love, I just have to tell you, you know, this is never going to happen. And so we need somehow to find peace with that. But, you know, that's that's kind of the more extreme. There there still are concerns, though, about the role of women in the church and, and the, the desire for a heightened role for women in leadership, especially in the church. And I, and I certainly hear that that plea. Um, and the church universally hears that plea. I think Pope Francis hears that mm -hmm. plea. Uh, you know, he's starting to appoint uh, women to very high positions, you know, in, in the Vatican, in the, in the structures of the universal governance of the church. Um, I can say locally here in the Archdiocese of Portland, we have uh, women in very prominent positions mm -hmm. of, of, of leadership in the church right here in my own pastoral center. Yeah. You know, the, the, the chief administrative officer of, of the Archdiocese of Portland is, is, a, is a very talented and, and gifted woman. My chancellor is a religious sister, a woman. My superintendent of Catholic schools is a, is a very competent mm -hmm. a woman, assisted by two women <laughs> assistant superintendents. Uh, my director of human resources is, is a very competent and talented and experienced woman. Uh, and I could go on and on. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of women in leadership. But I think there's that felt, the exclusion, I, on the, I, some people feel the exclusion of women from the priesthood somehow it, you know, lessens their, their importance or makes them feel like second-class citizens. And that's to completely misunderstand the priesthood because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the priesthood is not about power. It's not about authority. It's about servanthood uh, of Christ and, and the fact that Jesus chose men who to image him, uh, that the priest is, is configured to Christ sacramentally to represent him in the very person of Christ, the bridegroom of his bride, the church. You know, the, the maleness of Christ is not an accident uh, that, that God chose to in, be incarnate as the Son of God. Uh, you know, it's not an accident. It's part of God's plan. And the priest sacramentally is configured to Christ, represents Christ as bridegroom of the church, as, as, as Christ himself in, in the administration of the sacraments. The, the masculinity, if you will, of the priest uh, is, is not accidental either. And it's not to, to put them above others. Quite honestly, um, you know, most of the people that I know who are truly, truly holy uh, do not wear a Roman collar, <laughs> you know, and, and there's no limit on the call to holiness. And that's the real call for all of us is the call to holiness. Priests are called to be holy. Bishops are called to be holy. Sisters are called to be holy. Lay men and women are called to be holy. So there's nothing to prevent a woman from achieving the heights of holiness. And that has the greatest influence in the world. Look at Mother Teresa, for heaven's sake. She was never ordained a priest or a bishop, 
but there's no woman in our time who has left more of an impact on the world in the church than, than St. Teresa of Calcutta. And it was because of her holiness. And I think that we all need to strive for holiness. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, we need to continue to keep an eye on, on making sure that women have a rightful place of leadership and, and, and influence in, in, in the life of the church. Right. And I think, again, these sessions coming together, people sharing their own experiences, some of their wounds, some of their pains. And I think you mentioned earlier, sometimes we get so into the emotion, we forget. But but it's coming together in community. And sometimes, and and we see this a lot in the culture, this, uh, are you included? What's the inclusion of, of everyone? And so there's a very sensitivity in our culture. And this came out with a lot of the conversation about our young people, uh, people that identify themselves in different genders, or mm-hmm. we put it in one one uh, LGBTQ concerns. Right. And so there's a lot about that where people want a little more guidance. Yeah, or- yeah. I, this is an area that uh, is of great concern. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's particularly, you know, it's, it's not throughout the entire archdiocese, mm-hmm. you know, quite honestly, this, this area of, of concern for what is identified as the LGBTQ community uh, was not universally a, an area of concern. But in particular, parts of the archdiocese, perhaps, I would, I would identify the metro area, for example, of Portland to be an area where, where this was of, of greater concern, perhaps, in other areas, or maybe in other, some of the other metro areas, you know, Eugene, for example. Um, but it is an area of concern, and I think that it, it, it's, yes, I'm sure there were some people who uh, perhaps in the church who feel that, you know, the church should be um, accepting of this lifestyle. But I think for most people, it isn't, it isn't about accepting the lifestyle. It's about accepting and loving the person. And this is this, is this, this difficult path that the church has to f- still navigate and I'm, I'm afraid that we haven't maybe found the best way to navigate this yet. And we need to continue to work on this. In other words, how to be, because there's a feeling on the part of some that we're not welcoming of folks from this community, that we're not loving toward this community. We're not, we're not welcoming. We're not hospitable. Uh, we're not inclusive of them. Now, it depends on what you mean by those mm-hmm. words. You know, like when some people speak of, well, we need to be inclusive of this community, some people quite honestly mean we need to accept gay marriage. We need to, you know, accept a homosexual lifestyle, uh, homosexual acting out in, in, in sexual activity. Um, this is something the church cannot and will never condone. It can't. It can't. It's, 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 it's defined, again, defined church teaching in the moral area of, of what human sexuality is about. You know, I, I put it quite plainly, uh, uh, and, and, and simply because it, it, it deals with human sexuality, uh, a man's body does not make any sense without a woman's body. And a woman's body makes no sense without a man's body uh, because the two were made in complementarity to each other. You know, we read in Genesis, uh, God created man in his own image, in his own image and likeness. He created them male and female. He created them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You know, so it's all part of God's design. So, I, yeah, I suppose some people just want us to ignore that and accept gay marriage and, and gay relationships of sexuality. I think what the church needs to do is find a way to make people who experience same-sex attraction feel welcomed in the church, loved, that they are no less in the eyes of God than anyone else. 
And any person out there who struggles with same-sex attraction and maybe even has, has engaged in, in, in a sinful lifestyle along these lines, they are no less loved and valued by God than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the archbishop, but God doesn't love me any more than he loves those people with a great infinite love and mercy. And we need to find a way to have mercy, kindness, acceptance, welcome, uh, without without violating and, and being untrue to our faith and, and what we, we believe about human nature, what we believe about human sexuality, what we believe about marriage, uh, what we believe about procreativity, all of these things that are part of God's plan. How do we how do we welcome people? How do we make them feel important? How do we make them feel loved, valued? Their dignity uh, is 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 a challenge. It really is a challenge. It's a these are the hot button issues. I can mm-hmm. tell you, and this is going to be an area that's going to be very difficult to navigate for the church. I think, especially in the culture here in the Northwest, but we have to do it. We have to do it because we have to be loving and accepting and and. Uh, you know, I've, I've quite honestly, in my priestly years of ministry, I've dealt with a lot of people who struggle uh, with same-sex attraction. And, you know, we need to help those people feel loved and supported in the church as they would, as we would help them seek to, to live a chaste life, a moral life, a life of holiness. Again, it's the call to holiness. Yeah. And it's getting to heaven that's the important thing. It's Absolutely. getting to heaven. It's not necessarily finding full happiness and satisfaction mm-hmm. on this earth. It's about getting to heaven. It's about the call to holiness. It's the, the call to become a saint. And sometimes people carry heavy crosses. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, we all know people who carry very, very heavy crosses. Yeah. And I think for folks who struggle with same-sex attraction, um, this is a very heavy cross for them to carry. And we need to help them carry it. Yeah. We need to help and love them and not discriminate against them, uh, make them feel welcome and apart. I would love for the day when people in a parish could be known that, you know, well, yeah, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but I'm living a chaste life. I love Jesus. I'm living my faith. And this is just a cross for me to bear. But I'm in a community of people who love Mm -hmm. me and help me and accept me for who I am and are going to help me carry this cross. And even when I fall and when I fail and when I sin, God's mercy, the mercy of the community is there to lift me up again. That's what we need to find. Yeah, absolutely. And we've just got a couple more minutes, but I think one of the things that we heard from the joys in youth formation is when our young people turn away from the church. It might be in college, high school, but they... That, that's yeah, a we, sorrow in, in many that, parents' hearts. We know that young people are turning away, and, and we need to find a way to stem that, yeah. that tide. But I think it's all about, again, meeting them where they're at, mm-hmm. young people where they're at, and bringing them into that encounter with Christ. It's all about the encounter with Jesus. It's all about a life in Christ. But we need to meet those young people where they're at, try to answer their questions, and help them navigate. But help them to feel a part of it. That's part of the problem. They don't know where they fit in the right. church. We need to make sure that they know they have a place in the church and that they are loved and accepted. Yeah, yeah, the belonging. And I think we'll just close with this idea. We talked about marriage, divorce, the annulment process, misunderstandings, miscommunication, but talking about the marriage issues, divorce issues that people face. Yeah, this is, this is again, another area where people really struggle to, you know, because there's two issues here that came up in the synodal discussions. One was just how do we make folks who are divorced and especially if they've remarried uh, outside the church, how do they live and, and be a part of the church? Uh, that's a real challenge. Because, you know, I mean, there used to be just a stigma around being divorced. 
Uh, and there's so much misunderstanding in this area, I must, I must say, that one of the saddest things that I have ever experienced, and it's happened more than once, where a person comes, and comes forward and they've been divorced, I don't know, 20, 25 years, and they've been away from the sacraments for 20, 25 years because they're divorced, but they never remarried. And somebody along the line told them that, well, if you're divorced, you, you can't have the sacraments anymore. And they accepted that as true. And it's not true. It's only in the remarriage without uh, an examination of, the, of a previous marriage and a declaration of nullity of that marriage that would allow them to enter into a new union, or not uh, a first union. It's only if, if they've married outside the church, as we say, or married without the benefit of a declaration of nullity, uh, that would prevent them from receiving the sacraments. Because Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, whoever divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery. Yeah. So, but so, sadly, so many people just think, well, if, if you're divorced, you can't receive communion anymore. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's only if you remarry without, uh, outside the church. But, but even for people who have right. divorced and remarried outside the church and they haven't gotten an annulment or maybe they're not inclined to do that or maybe their spouse needs an, a new, new spouse, civil spouse needs an annulment, but they won't cooperate. You know, it can get very dicey and, and difficult, but they, they often feel second class again in the church excluded. So we need to find ways again to, to, to welcome those folks as well. The other issue that came up here was the length of the annulment process, right. how long it takes. You know, we're doing the best we can. Uh, it's improved greatly, yes. uh, but we're still reeling from some years here where we were understaffed and, and had a huge backlog of cases, and we had some internal issues that were not helping. And so the, the length of time became very long. But thankfully, we've made great progress in shortening that. So anybody who would start the process today would, would not have the same experience. Right. But we need to keep attentive to that. Yeah, and I think the benefit of just all of this has been the Holy Spirit will continue to work to bring about unity, to eliminate the divisions, to bring about, again, a zeal for Jesus Christ, because he is the healer in all of these situations. So again, I want to encourage people to download the document or check that out. And then again, do you want to mention? Yeah, I, I, yeah. there's, there's, there's last, one, one there's more last thing. wound, last, one, one last wound before we close. And we just, I don't want to ignore it because if people be in, see it in the report, you know, some people mentioned some unfriendliness on the part of the priest, the clergy. And uh, I hear that loud and clear. And I think, you know, we as priests, those who minister in the person of Jesus, you know, we need to be those kind, loving, approachable uh, people, friendly, uh, kind, not, you know, we're not there to be your best, best buddy, but we should be loving and approachable yeah. and, and accessible. And when people experience clergy who are distant or cold or seem uninterested or not available, not accessible, that's, that's, that's bad. Uh, and uh, we're supposed to represent Jesus, yeah. uh, you know, who, who is available to all and, uh, and, and poured himself out in love for others. And that's the model uh, I certainly try to emulate my own priesthood. But yeah. I, I wouldn't be in, it would be disingenuous not to, to point out that, right. that that did surface in the way. It wasn't a heavy, strong point, but it was, it was a point raised by, right. by some people. A lot of us to learn about. And I think the benefit just for everybody who's worked on this and will continue right yep. to unpack the fruit, um, your final message. Yeah, just a, you know, this is a great experience. We've learned a lot about what's great and working in our church and is beautiful and wonderful and valued by people. We need to work on those things, strengthen those things, build on those things, uh, our strengths. 
And we, at the same time, need to address the wounds that are still there. And that's, that was a great outcome of this process. I'm not, I'm not put off by the wounds. Uh, I'm happy to know what they are and what are on people's minds and hearts because that gives us the ability then to address those things uh, as we continue to build on the good news. I, and I think mm-hmm. that's the important thing to remember. And we got to go back to last program. Yeah. There's so much good. There's so much wonderful things happening. Let's not uh, lose sight of that. And, and Jesus is with us. He promised he would be with us to the end of time. And he's going to guide us uh, forward as we as we build on on what we learned in, in this yeah. process. The march to holiness. The We're going to continue to, to do that. Absolutely. With that, would you please yes. give us your blessing? And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families, loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.